This is Landed, a podcast that gives you insider tips on international business expansion. My name is Eamon O'Flynn, and I work at Waterloo EDC. Our organization helps companies from all over the world land in Waterloo, Canada. No matter which industry you work in, you've heard of some of our clients, like SAP, Toyota, Masterclass, Beckoff Automation, and more. We've attracted more than $1 billion in new business investment in our community, which means we have access to dozens of top business leaders and service providers who have direct experience guiding growing companies through international expansion. This podcast is all about passing their hard-won perspectives and experience to you. International business expansion is a team sport. Your internal stakeholders must be pulling in the same direction. You will need help from experts in business law business location strategy, real estate, recruiting, and accounting. And you can boost your efforts by taking advantage of government support and economic development services. Depending on your needs, a professional site selector could be the perfect way to round out your team. Today, we're talking to Greg Waspensdorf, a professional site selector for more than 25 years, who is the former executive board chair of the Site Selectors Guild, the only association of the world's foremost professional site selection consultants. Greg works at Newmark, one of the world's largest commercial real estate services companies, delivering services to occupiers, owners, and investors. Within Newmark, Greg is a senior managing director in the Global Strategy Consulting Group, a specialized team of consultants in the Global Corporate Services Division, Global strategy consultants help companies with portfolio strategy, global facility footprint strategy, location strategy, and site selection, as well as economic incentives advisory needs. Our conversation will touch on everything from the process of contracting a site selector to how site selectors help with complex business location decisions. He'll also tell us which questions he thinks every company should ask before choosing a location. Let's chat with Greg. All right, so thanks for joining us today, Greg. You know, when I think of site selectors, uh, I think it's it's very mysterious. There's a site selectors guild. Uh, I think a lot of people might not really know exactly uh, exactly what site selectors do. So I think it's a big question, but it's the obvious place to start. What does a professional site selector do? That is a great question. It is a big question. The simplest way I would explain it is to say, we help companies answer the question, where in the world should I locate my business operations? That's it in a nutshell. For a company that is started and grown locally, the, uh, the answer just presents itself. It's, it's wherever you started your business. But for larger organizations that have a bigger footprint and they have optionality around where they put facilities, the question then creeps in, where should I be? Where's the best place for me to competitively operate my business? So that could be a headquarters or a regional office. It could be a shared services center, uh, a data center that doesn't employ a lot of people, but is a very major investment. And then, of course, for manufacturing and distribution operations, um, that could literally be for these types of facilities anywhere in the world. And so our job as site selectors is to turn geography into competitive advantage for the business. And so that expresses itself in, in a lot of different ways. The site selection decision 
can be a metro level or regional decision, but more typically when the consultants get involved, it's more of a national, continental, or global decision. So in the Canadian context, which province and metro should I be in? Or if it's a global question, we face these questions all the time. Um, mm -hmm. We recently helped uh, you know, a San Francisco Bay Area company put uh, or make a decision of, about a new product development, uh, sort of computer IT product development center, not in an obvious location, but we chose Montevideo, Uruguay as the final decision. So uh, that's how we turn you know, geography to competitive advantage. So mm -hmm. that, that's it in a nutshell. But then like tactically, what do we do? It's not a core skill set for most people mm -hmm. who own or operate a business or who are in sort of management roles. It's not a core skill set to be doing site selection. Most people already have a day job. It's not site yeah. selection, and so they need special expertise. Uh, the site selector is, uh, and and the the team that's involved in the site selection process is doing desktop research and analysis uh, of all of the various factors that need to be considered in a location strategy decision. But after the desktop research, there's also field research, so getting out in the world, mm -hmm. flying places, getting on the ground meeting with people, seeing property, meeting with utilities. Uh, and, and those are fact-finding meetings, but also negotiating meetings, ultimately. Uh, and we prepare the analysis of all these location factors. It's qualitative data. It's quantitative data. Uh, we look at cost. We look at risk. And again, that could be local. It could be continental. It could be, could be global. And then ultimately, you know, the site selector is involved in negotiations, either with uh, property owners, governments, utilities, railway companies, et cetera, because that's all part of the location solution that has to be mm -hmm. finally derived. And then putting the business case together for the two or three finalist locations so that the client can make a really confident choice on where to be. That's all part of the site selection discipline. Yeah. And then executing the project would be another phase. <laughs> So you, I remember you saying uh, before when you when you've spoken at one of our events that uh, your job is to eliminate <laughs> is to eliminate uh, communities too, right? Is to is to it basically is. look and say, okay, why does this just not fit? Why yeah. why is this not going to provide that competitive advantage? Let me put it this way: only certain companies that are of a of a very large scale tend to have the whole world as the universe of opportunities for them to consider. Most companies have an idea that this next facility ought to be in Europe. This next facility mm -hmm. needs to serve as Latin America, or this next uh, facility really ought to focus on, let's say, the Western region of the United States. There, there's usually some geographic sense of, of where we need to go. Sometimes not. Sometimes it is global. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you said, you know, job one is, first of all, find locations that might be reasonable options. But our very next step is disqualify locations that do not work, either because there's some fatal flaw, there's some critical requirement for the business that that location, whether it's a country, a region, a metro area, um, those locations simply will not satisfy fundamental business needs. So it's a fatal mm -hmm. flaw, it's removed. 
or you have to get deeper and deeper into the analysis to then start weighting factors, scoring certain criteria, and realizing, okay, I'm sensing now that some places are clearly better than others, and you continue to cull the optionality and get down to a fewer, fewer number of locations. So find the locations, disqualify the locations, step two, step three, uh, optimize those locations. So once you're down to a, a, a very small set of two, three, four, five locations that you think could be optimal, well, they're not optimal until you do a lot of work, meeting yeah. with utilities, meeting with property owners, meeting with local and regional senior levels of government, uh, negotiating economic incentives, and on and on. So it can it can be a very involved and complicated effort. And that's, and you know, like, that's why that's a big part of the reason why this podcast exists, because as you said, you can become the CEO of a company and there's no reason you would have ever done something in terms of business expansion to a new location or the CTO or the head of research or whatever your, your background might be. It's very rare to also have, and by the way, I've, I've set up new offices or new facilities in new places. That's right. Uh, is there a, is there a particular size or type of company that that should hire a site selector or, you know, is, is it, is it kind of just any, any company should at least consider it? I mean, it, it should be considered, but it, it's really driven by the need. So mm -hmm. are you, are you big enough as a company or big enough in this particular facility requirement that you have that it's, it's large enough to be a challenging problem. And yeah. are you small enough that you do not have the answers in-house. So yeah. that would, I think, be the starting point, right? I've got a big problem. I don't know how to answer it with the resources that I have in-house. But after that, you know, even some of the largest companies in the world use site selection consultants. And why is that? Um, I mean, one company that I worked with years ago, it's, I'm not going to name them, uh, but they're a fortune 25 company. It's a brand yeah. name that everybody pretty much on the planet knows. knows. <laughs> and they, they, they hired me and, and my team because they said, we haven't done a true greenfield manufacturing site selection project in, in like 25 years. We yeah. don't actually have that skill set in-house. We've got amazing people amazing resources from manufacturing through supply chain, through HR and IT and, and uh, our operations team and our finance team, they're amazing. But how do you organize all of that, put it together into, into a process that will bring us to a point of making a great location decision for this next facility that we're going to invest in? That isn't something we do every day. So regardless of the size of the company, be it small or large, there are a few things that to consider. First of all, do you have the capability to do this kind of unique uh, consulting work for yourself? Mm -hmm. Even if you have the capability, do you have the capacity? And I think I said yeah. this earlier, most people already have a full-time you know, day job that spills over into their evenings and weekends. You mm -hmm. throw a complex uh, site selection project on top of the normal duties and it's overwhelming. So capability, do you have the capacity? And then are there unique challenges? Some projects are very complex. There are regulatory issues involved, utility constraints, 
other things that need to be factored in. And so just the complexity of it, you want to have another set of professional eyes uh, looking at it and hands working on it. Mm-hmm. And then is there unique geography that you want to be exploring? And it doesn't have to be some esoteric, strange location in the world. It's simply a place that you're not familiar with. So yep. if you've only done business in Canada, if you've only done business in the United States, and now all of a sudden you're considering Mexico, sounds simple, easy to fly there. You may have taken a vacation <laughs> there, but have you made yeah. a business decision about how to actually stand up a new facility in Mexico or choose between Panama or Costa Rica if you're going to make, let's say, put a put a shared services center into a Latin American country, how do you make the decision? Well, there are consultants who do this every day. And the capacity thing, I think, would ring true with with anyone in a position at a at a company right now. If you you know, we do this all the time. I, I work in marketing. Mm-hmm. I can do a lot of things in marketing, but I don't have the capacity to do everything we want to do in marketing. And so. Right. How do we how do we find that additional capacity when when capacity is a problem or or you know I'm I'm great at, at certain things in marketing I'm not necessarily a data whiz where do we find someone who can help with that that sort of thing so it it happens in in every area but the difference being that site selection is is a very unique skill set as well it's outside of a normal business operation so it it all makes sense that you would find a, a an expert. Do, do uh, individual site selectors have different specialties? Is there something you specialize in or do you kind of broadly uh, help depending or no matter what the, the issue is? So I've, <laughs> by virtue of the fact that I've been doing this for 25 years, I've developed a wide range of experience in industries and assets and geographies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not true for, for everybody or maybe someone who's younger in their career. But I also benefit from the fact that at, at Newmark, We've got one of the largest location strategy uh, and site selection practices in the world. And as a consequence, uh, and, and being a being one of the leaders in that practice, I get to see and touch and be involved in a lot of different project types. Having said that, uh, we've got members of our team. And if you look at other site selection firms, some of them do very much specialize. And they say, I do mostly manufacturing and distribution projects, or I do mostly head office, shared services, call center, BPO um, type operations that are office functions, very people focused and could be global. So yeah, there's definitely a specialization. Let me put it this way. It's difficult for someone who has mostly worked on office projects to all of a sudden become an expert in uh, rail and ocean freight and heavy capacity utilities on a greenfield manufacturing site. And that's uh, kind of maybe leads to the next question. I I think there is a a short answer to this question, which is Newmark, but where should companies go looking for a site selector? (laughs) And how do you you hire one? How do you find them in the first place? Yeah, Um, sure. Yeah, look up Newmark location <laughs> strategy. That I mean, that's a good start. But let me be honest. Uh, there are so I'll give you a multi-part answer. There are many places where you can look for support. Um, for for the best of the best in location strategy and site selection, I'm going to point to the organization that you mentioned at the top of our discussion, which is the Site Selectors Guild. Um, 
I've been involved in the guild for uh, almost 10 years. I've been on the board for the last four and a half years. I'm the immediate past chair of the board of directors for the Site Selectors Guild. All right. I, I have a question uh, that I, I'm sure would come up for, for anyone, um, and it's, it might be a touchy subject, but how are, how are site selectors compensated? What, how, is, how does this even, how does that part of it work? Or is it just change depending on the project? It's a simple answer, really. Uh, and of course, I'm glad you asked the question because everyone does need to know at some point, mm-hmm. if I need this expertise, how do I get it? How do I pay for it? Uh, so there are really, I'll say three ways. Uh, most consulting work is done, and this won't surprise people, it's done on a fixed fee basis for a known scope of work. So typically, um, consultants really in any field, once they've been able to interact with their prospective client you know, and talk about what actually needs to be accomplished, there's enough experience there that the consultant can say, okay, I understand the problem you're trying to solve. Here's a process that we can take you through. This is how long we expect it will take. And for us to do all of that, our fixed fee for that part of the engagement is X dollars. And then some of it might be fixed fee, but but more flexible. So for example, if you say, uh, we'll run you through the first two phases of our project and that will get you down to, let's say a short list. But now we need to go out in the field. We need to go fly sometimes with Mm -hmm. our clients, sometimes without, but we need to fly around the world, fly to different markets, meet with people, but we might go to two locations. We might go to three. We might go to four. We don't know. Those will become like optional extra pieces of work on a fixed fee basis, right? But there's optionality to it. So there's that. Uh, there, There are success fees that can be paid to consultants. Some clients really prefer having a success fee if there are certain financial goals that are achieved on a project. Sometimes it's a hybrid. There's a like a base amount and with a success fee proportion over that. All right. You're on the ground and you see this more than just about anyone. How is international investment and, and expansion changing, uh, especially over the last few years, which have been pretty tumultuous? Very tumultuous. Um, yeah. Where do we begin You know, with the pandemic? really disrupting supply chains all around the world uh, and then spilling out of that uh, you know geopolitical conflict changing in the energy markets those energy markets being partly because of geopolitical conflict partly because of covid all of these things intertwined and then a growing sense of uh, just i'll say small n nationalism uh, sort of creeping in to policy development uh, and investment attraction, we've really seen a shift um, from what used to be just considered globalization, where you know the whole world is your oyster and everybody invests everywhere. That was that was never totally the case, but that was generally the model of globalization. And we we really have shifted more to a regionalization model around the world, where companies are saying I. I can't just source from China everything that I need in the United States, or I can't just get from Taiwan everything that I want to have in Canada. It's, it's too tight a string tied around the world from point to point. I need optionality. I need to manage my risk. 
by being closer to my points of production or points of distribution to my end user customer. So I need an America's solution for my facilities. I need a European solution for my facilities. I need an Asia solution. And so it's, it's manifesting itself in many different ways. You hear a lot about uh, um, reshoring or nearshoring. That is definitely happening where mm -hmm. companies are bringing some of that productive uh, capacity uh, from Asia back into, let's say, North America. But it's not as simple as that. Uh, if, if capacity is leaving China, for example, often it's not coming back to North America. It's just going to uh, Vietnam or Thailand or Malaysia. So it stays mm -hmm. in Asia, but it becomes a China plus one or two other locations. If capacity, uh, sometimes capacity is not being actually physically lifted and returned to North America, but what's happening is companies are saying, I'm not going to put any more into China. Mm -hmm. I, I need some other solutions. So what's my America solution, my European solution, my, my, my Asia solution? So it's, it's become very dynamic, uh, very complex. Uh, in the way the companies are are responding to this. I've written a lot about this in FDI Intelligence Magazine. Uh, I've done a lot of interviews on this in the last several years. So globalization shifting. Uh, USMCA or the, the Kuzma Trade Agreement, Canada, US, Mexico, that provided uh, some important changes to where content gets produced just in North America. Mm -hmm. But now as well, we've seen massive policy interventions from the United States, the Chips and Science Act, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, the Infrastructure Act. All of these things have changed the competitive landscape globally. And I know in Canada, some governments, federal Ontario, for example, taking some criticism for the incentives being given on certain key major projects, especially in the automotive and EV battery space. That's all in response to the policies being developed in the United States. And it's not just Canada. The European Union in record time transformed the way and the amount of incentives that they give to projects all across Europe because of what's happened in the United States. So there's mm -hmm. a ripple effect to policymaking uh, that we're seeing all around the globe. It's, it's fascinating, <laughs> uh, yeah. but also very, very challenging. And so, uh, maybe just my last comment on that. Sure, yeah. You know, it's the the big projects, the mega projects get a ton of attention. But I'll say, just going back to you know your your the core of your question, which is how is investment changing? Uh, it's important to remember that like core industries, I'll say boring industries, continue to just do a lot of new product investment and facility investment uh, globally and all across North America and in Canada. So, and I'm thinking food and beverage, building products, you know, the things that we sometimes take for granted, like consumer goods mm -hmm. and, and basic durable goods, we sometimes forget about them, but really important parts of the entire uh, fabric of, uh, of global investment and site selectors are deeply involved in those sectors too. So you've you've answered. I had a few other questions, but I think we've we've answered most of them. So I think I'd I'd maybe end with this one, which is: What questions do you always want clients to ask you? 
when they when they are seeking your services? What are the questions that they should be asking you? Yeah, uh, I'll I'll start by saying uh, the question that is my red flag alert when I'm first called by a company is if they want to start the conversation with a question, where can I go where the government will give me the most money? <laughs> that's yeah. that's that's a red flag for me. It it causes concern that there isn't a real business plan, there isn't a real strategy, and this is not going to go well for the company, myself and 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 my firm working with them, or for the community where they ultimately want to go. Because mm -hmm. coming back to your question, the sorts of questions that I hope to receive when we start a a scoping discussion or or just a discovery call where 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 someone reaches out and they say we may or may not need your help we're not sure but can we talk about this that's a great way to start because then we can really talk about need what are you trying to accomplish with your business right what are the geographies that you have in mind as you consider your expansion is this something local is it regional are you looking at the whole continent what are the drivers? Uh, so I'm kind of flipping it around, not the questions I want to be asked, mm -hmm. but the sort of questions that kind of go back and forth between Definitely. me yep. and the client, the client to to me. And, and ultimately, we want to know, uh, and I, I'd like to hear the client ask questions that, that put some value uh, to the process. Mm. Yes, there's going to be cost. It's It can be expensive to hire a consultant. Uh, but where's the value that's derived? Well, it's in reducing the cost of capital uh, in the place where we ultimately land the project. It's in reducing the operating expenses, not in just in year one, but over the life of the, of the facility. Where can we find you better operating cost savings? Where can we find you a, a more long lasting pipeline of talent that's gonna support your business? Uh, where will the economic incentives be reasonable and and properly tuned up to what I need for the business? Mm -hmm. So when we have this sort of a conversation where we're really trying to do problem solving to make the business better, that is a very interesting conversation for me. That was my conversation with Greg Wassmansdorf, Senior Managing Director at Newmark Global Strategy, the consulting arm of the commercial real estate services company, Newmark. If you Google his name, Greg Wassmansdorf, you'll quickly find his bio on LinkedIn or at Newmark, and we will share some links in the episode description as well. That's all for today. Is your company interested in expanding to Canada? Our team is always available for a no-strings chat with business leaders looking for information about immigration, government incentives and tax credits, expansion data, talent acquisition, and more. Enjoy the show? Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can also subscribe on our website at waterlooedc.ca slash podcast, or simply follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at waterlooedc. Until next time. 
goodbye from Waterloo.